Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 278. And tonight, Gandalf will announce his presence. If he thought making, you know, uh, uh, lighting the fire up on Karathros was going to announce his presence, he's going to uh, do so tonight in no uncertain terms. So we're going to return to the slide that we began last time. Um, and uh, uh, see what's going on there. Um, so, first, just quick announcements. We are uh, moving through October here. We are coming into the October moots. We've got two moots in a row in the next two weeks, so I'm looking forward to getting to hang out with many of you over the course of the next fortnight. This weekend, I will be out in Iowa, in Waterloo, Iowa, for Middle Moot. Um, great to have another middle moot out in Iowa. It'll be our fourth Iowa middle moot, our seventh middle moot overall. Um, so that is going to be uh, that is going to be fantastic. Hope you guys can join us for that. And then we will have New England moot here in New Hampshire uh, by me, where you can come for the fall foliage and stay for the uh, discussion. It's going to be very very cool. So that's the middle moot. Of course, is this Saturday on the fourteenth of October. And then uh, New England Moot is next Saturday on the 21st of October. Um, uh, so looking forward to that. And then, of course, the next Saturday after that on the 28th of October is going to be our Fall Space Showcase. So you can come and... Um, uh, you can uh, come for the day. There's, it's uh, it's open to everybody, and you can get free previews of a bunch of our upcoming space modules to get a feeling for what, um, not only a feeling for um, how our space modules work if you're new to it, um, but also a a sample and taste of the really really fun discussions and topics uh, that are coming down the road in our space program including, and we're very excited about this, uh, the, the marvelous Amy Sturgis uh, is joining our space faculty and is going to be offering some space modules here as we move forward. And she's going to be in our fall showcase, too, in a couple weeks. So wanted to make sure that you guys knew about that as well. Um, but now let us return uh, to the slide that we began um, and we began this because I wanted to, um, I wanted, we, we spent some time looking first at the alliteration and I know some people might think I was kind of missing the like more important things about what's happening in this passage, but I knew we we're going to come back to it. Um, I wanted to complete our discussion of the alliteration. The alliteration I think is so striking throughout this entire passage, um, that I think it was well worth talking about and really interesting to see how he stepped it up in the ways that we discussed last time. Let's read this again, and then having, I'll try to not talk too much about the alliteration again this time, and instead we will talk about uh, some of the more substantive elements here. I know, well, Arno, I'm, I'm not saying there's necessarily things that are actually more important than alliteration. I'm just saying there might be other elements of the passage that perhaps we, um, uh, we, want, to, uh, we want to talk about. Okay. In the wavering firelight, Gandalf seemed suddenly to grow. He rose up, a great menacing shape like the monument of some ancient king of stone set upon a hill. Stooping like a cloud, he lifted a burning branch and strode to meet the wolves. They gave back before him. High in the air, he tossed the blazing brand. It flared with a sudden white radiance like lightning, and his voice rolled like thunder. Naur Anidraithamen, Naur Dan Ingarhoth, he cried. 
And I'm sorry, I'm just going to pronounce the G. Like I, my apologies to all the Sindar out there, but like, I'm sorry. It sounds better with the hard G. What can I say? Um, okay. So let's, uh, first thing I want to talk about is how Gandalf is described. And I pointed to this in the title of my slide, but in addition to massive amounts of alliteration um, throughout this, um, the, the similes, look how many similes are used. In the wavering firelight, Gandalf seemed suddenly to grow. He rose up, a great menacing shape, like the monument of some ancient king of stone set upon a hill. Stooping like a cloud, he lifted a burning branch and strode to meet the wolves. They gave back before him. High in the air, he tossed the blazing brand. It flared with a sudden white radiance like lightning, and his voice rolled like thunder. So you hear all the comparisons there? Right. He um, he seemed to grow. So we already have we, we begin the paragraph with this sort of appearance. Does Gandalf actually grow? Right. Does he he seems to grow. So there's some um, something odd about appearance and reality here. Right. He has the appearance of growing. And then he's compared to. Uh, the monument of some ancient king of stone. He's compared to a cloud. He stoops like a cloud. Uh, and then the blazing, the flare of the blazing brand is like lightning, and his voice is like thunder. Um, so those last ones all um, kind of cluster together. The cloud, the lightning, and the thunder, I mean. Right? Collectively, Gandalf and his magic are like a thunderstorm, right? Um, and yes, word-wise, I think that's exactly right. By the way, welcome, word-wise. Um, I think that's exactly right. Stooping like a cloud. I mean, we, we sort of talked about that a little bit. It's like, uh, you know, a, a, a thunderhead, a thundercloud looming over you, right? But there is something almost almost godlike in his dimensions there. Um, uh, if you are, you know, standing there, but you're stooping down and it's, it's like, and you're stooping down like a thundercloud looms over. It is, he seems in some way, right? Um, Giant-like here. Um, stooping like a cloud. It's, it's, this was one of the things several of you brought up at first, that this is, it's a strange kind of simile. Um, stooping is not an action. And I say it's strange because very often um, when we use similes, we use similes that, um, like there are certain, there are certain similes, there are certain things that we associate with certain actions, right? Like, you know, you sort of... Um, Like there are kind of go some go-to similes that we use um, uh, to illustrate certain words, right? Um, this is an unusual one. Um, stooping is not what you normally associate with clouds, but just the the looming threat of Gandalf is like a thundercloud. 
but yes it does imply um it does imply that uh he is in some sense of almost godlike proportions like his he is up in the clouds descending upon descending upon them um yeah um And then the one that doesn't fit of the four similes that we get for Gandalf is that first one. He rose up a great menacing shape like the monument of some ancient king of stone set upon a hill. And that's a, also a rather unexpected one. What does that convey? In, 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 so if, if, if you wouldn't expect someone to stoop like a cloud... Right. And by the way, what action is... Hang on, go back to stooping like a cloud for a second. What action is being described there? Gandalf bent over and picked up a stick, <laughs> right? I mean, if we're being very literal in describing what happens, Gandalf bent over and picked up a stick is what actually occurs, right? Um, but when Gandalf <laughs> bends over and picks up a stick, right, from the fire... He is stooping like a, that's the action that is stooping like a cloud. His his reaching down to grab a burning branch from the fire is like remember when the hobbits were encouraged to grab burning sticks from the fire when the uh, Nazgul were going to attack them and stand back to back. Um, yeah, when he picks up a stick, he really he really picks up a stick, right? Um, that's when he looks like a thundercloud. It's the, it's the anticipation, right? That sense of, that sense of doom, that is coming upon you, right? Um, but anyway, back to the monument of some ancient king. Now, Gandalf seems suddenly to grow. How did he grow? Tell us more. He rose up. A great menacing shape. Okay, so he he grows up. He's menacing. Uh, how 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 menacing exactly is Gandalf as he rises up, um, in the wavering firelight? He's as menacing as the 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 monument of some ancient king of stone set upon a hill. Well, that's interesting, right? I mean, right? Calero says like the Argonoth, for instance. Uh, yes, yes, possibly. Um, Kurt Smith, yeah, there are several things that are weird about this, but I'll start with yours. Is it weird that it doesn't say a stone monument of an ancient king, but a monument of an ancient king of stone? I think it is. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's really interesting. Um, the implication. I mean, I am imagining a stone monument. Like I'm totally imagining a stone monument, and yet that's not exactly what it says. I mean, I, presumably the monument is, in fact, a monument of stone. But what is described is an ancient king of stone. Um, now, a king of stone, it does sound like kind of a pun on the king of Gondor. Yeah, the king of the stone land. Yes, yes. Um, in... All right. Here's how I, here, here's how I understand that. 
I think that an ancient king of stone is a way to... I don't think that that necessarily means, for instance, that the jurisdiction of the king was rocks, right? That, like, he ruled... Stones were his subjects, in some sense. I, I don't think that's what is being described. An ancient king of stone is a big old statue of a king that's made out of... The statue is made out of stone. It's a way to talk about that. We will see this kind of... Um, the, we we will see this kind of language used. Um, look at the statue of the king at the crossroads, for instance. Um, the Argonauts, too, I think. What I'm... What I think about this, what I think is the significance because it is a choice, right? I mean, it's a choice to to phrase it this way. Ancient king of stone. Um, it's not that he ruled over stone. Yeah, and the king's in Denethor's hall. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the effect is he is a king of stone in the sense that what you're seeing is a king that is made of stone. I'm trying to think of how to phrase how to phrase this properly without sounding too weird. But if we look at a statue, if you look at a statue and you see first, um, you see first an inert chunk of stone, right? If you look at a statue and you say, "There's a big rock." and somebody carved it to look like somebody, then I think you're mostly doing it wrong, or the art has sort of failed for you. Um, there is a sense in which what you are seeing is the ancient king. It's... He's... It's made of stone, right? But there's a kind of distance, right? Again, if, if, you're, if you see statue and you're translating in your head to something like um, a, a, a rock that is made to be similar to that king, what you've done is you've distanced the statue from the king in your head significantly, right? Um, and And I don't think that you're supposed to, right? That's not what statues are for. That's not why statues exist, really, right? Like, it's... In the Lincoln Memorial, the enormous seated Abraham Lincoln is supposed to be... This is Lincoln sitting there, staring out over the mall, right? Um, this very much larger than life Abraham Lincoln sitting there on his throne-like chair, right? You're, you're supposed to think of Abraham Lincoln. You're not supposed to look at that and say, like, that's a huge chunk of marble. Oh, and it kind of, you know, was made to look like Lincoln, right? There is a sense 
in which not a literal sense, not actually Abraham Lincoln. He's not been turned into marble and swollen to the size of, uh, of a giant and, and sat there on the chair. But you're supposed to be thinking of him. He is a an ancient president of marble there, right? Um, and that kind of presence, that is, statues, we often see this in Tolkien's world. Statues have a kind of presence. Yes, exactly, Eric. You are meant to experience the person's presence. Um, yes, yes. Um Faramirian, we will certainly, we will certainly see a similar kind of. Uh, that is, the the Argonath very clearly has a presence, right? There is something, there is there is something real. They're not just rocks. And I think that's meant to be true of most statues. To go back to the king on the crossroads, there's a reason the orcs do that, right? They're not just art critics. Right. Um, they have struck a blow against Gondor by decapitating and defacing the statue of the king who is guarding the crossroads. Um, there's a kind of there's a kind of reality to it. It's more than just a representation. It's more than just a symbol. Um, so the monument of some ancient king of stone. Um, I, I think that that way of phrasing it, if, if he said it the way that we might more naturally... Um, yeah, interesting. Faramirian says they deface him, the king, to avoid his presence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Um... Yes. Bjarnasoner, I agree that it's an attack not on the stone of the statue, nor on the man the statue is of, but of the idea the statue is created to project. Yes, again, of the presence of that king, right? Um, but, um, yes, yes. Um, so, So yes, that that phrase, it can, again, just to say what I was starting to say before, if we were to rephrase this in a way that seems more natural to us, a shape like the stone monument of some ancient king, right? Um, that conveys something quite different. If we say, like the stone monument of some ancient king, you see, all we're talking about is just a stone monument. It happens to be of some ancient king, but like, whatever. Right. The important thing is that it's a stone monument. That's not the important thing about this simile. It's a monument of some ancient king of stone. Right. There's an ancient king of stone. That's what the monument is. It's an ancient king of stone sitting there. Right. Um, and uh, so, again, there's there's. <clears throat> uh, yeah. So I'm, 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 I don't want to get too mystical about this because I don't think Tolkien is necessarily suggesting some kind of mystical connection between 
you know, like a statue of Elendil and Elendil himself, for instance, thinking of the, you know, statues in the Hall of the King at Minas Tirith. Um, and yet, there is a sense of presence there. You are aware of the presence as the presence of Elendil himself. Um, and the Argonath, as we will see, clearly has impact, right? It is not just a very impressive statue. More than just a reminder. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but, um, but yeah, so that's, that's, I think that he is pointing to that sort of effect. Um, and this is important because this is exactly what he is describing is the impression that Gandalf makes when he rises up there in the wavering firelight and seems to grow. The kind of menacing he had. I mean, there, there are lots of ways in which he could be menacing, right? He rose up a great menacing shape like, I don't know, an angry grizzly bear or something. That would be intimidating. Um, uh, but it's not that kind of menacing. Um, it's not even something that menaces you with danger. A statue's not particularly dangerous, right? But it has a presence. A monument of some ancient king of stone is going to impress you in a certain way, is going to awe you in a certain way. Um, there's veneration there. There's authority there, Rowan, I agree. There's majesty, Ambrosius, yes, I agree. Um, all of um, uh, all of those things um, are being invoked here, I think, about Gandalf. Um, and it, it's a very unexpected. Normally, in when somebody in battle gets compared to a statue, like it doesn't seem like that's always necessarily a good thing, does it? Right? But it is here. It's it is the 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 way in which Gandalf is menacing and how he is imposing. Um. And then after this, right after that general sense of of awe of respect of fear <clears throat> that he inspires um, he then goes into action by bending over to pick up the stick and now he's a thundercloud stooping like a cloud the blazing brand flares with a sudden white radiance like lightning and his voice rolled like thunder. Um, yes. Interesting, Kurtzmas. Yes, he is immovable as well. Yes, the immovability. Um, I agree. There's something of that, too. Um, you can't... <laughs> Living kings can sometimes disappoint you. Right? Uh, living kings might back down. Uh, an ancient king of stone will never back down, right? Um, they will stand there in a defiant attitude, a bold, 
intimidating, defiant attitude, and they will never change, right? They will never uh, withdraw from that. Um, yeah, yeah. And yes, two Jewish man, I agree. There is just as he is um, immovable in his, uh, you know, he, he is not only uh, inspiring awe, um, but that sense of immovability. So too, the um, thunderstorm metaphors suggest irresistibility, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, yes, and I agree, Mudmore, when you combine those two things, right? Um, when you combine those two things, it's especially intimidating, isn't it? Now, let's take a step, one step further back. We weren't getting, were we getting similar? Hang on a second. I think I moved the slide all the way down to the bottom. Uh -huh. oh, never mind. Okay. Here it is. Sorry. Okay. Um, I don't think, no. Do we have a single simile here? No. A great host of wargs that gathered silent is now attacking them. Frodo saw many gray shapes. Through the throat of one huge leader, he pressed his sword with a great sweep. No. Um, we get a sort of metaphor in the bow of Legolas was singing, but um, but that's it. Okay, um, so that's interesting that none of the rest of the battle is described in simile form. Um, but Gandalf gets similes. So why? Why do we shift to similes? Four similes in one paragraph, right? Lots of likes here. And the sense I get, um, uh, think back to... Uh, Think back to a couple slides ago where the what what we were getting was this series of of disjointed sensory perceptions. Right. Like the hobbits were barely even following what was happening. Um, now. They're following. We were seeing them focus on the four companions who are fighting. Right. Aragorn, Boromir. Legolas, Gimli, um, and now Gandalf. But when they're describing Gandalf, they don't just describe their actions. The, you know, yeah, it, it doesn't just describe Gandalf's actions. It, they are trying to capture, right? The narrator is trying to capture the impression that Gandalf makes, right? It's not enough just to say what he did. You have to say what it's like, what it felt like, especially since, as I said, like what he actually does. I mean, a, a, a purely, if we do like an Honest Trailers version of this paragraph, right? It's something like, um, Gandalf stood up 
He bent down, picked up a stick, and he chucked it towards the wolves and shouted. Right? I mean, that's that's what's actually happening here. Right? But that doesn't convey what happened. That doesn't convey the experience of what happened. Um, you will get no clear impression of what it was like to watch Gandalf in that moment. He seemed suddenly to grow. Is he actually bigger? I don't know that he is bigger. I don't think he is. I think that's why it says he seemed to grow. Um, why does he seem to grow? Well, because all of a sudden when he stands up, he's like a great, he's like the monument of some ancient king of stone set upon a hill. That's also the set upon a hill, by the way, is like to be seen from miles, like the, the attention that he draws, how he stands out. Um, and then again, like just to say he bent over and picked up a stick does not convey the threat of his presence. He was like a thunderstorm lowering down upon you, about to break. This is why they're giving back before him. They're, they're, um, the wolves, they sense it too. And that's that one sentence they gave back before him is the one piece of evidence we have that this is not just the hobbits, right? This is everybody who can see it. Um, uh, everyone, it, they, the, the wolves run away. They run away from the dude with the stick, right? Um, he bends over and he picks up a burning stick. Now, it the stick is on fire. Um, but the dude with the burning stick walks forward towards them and they back away. They've not been backing away from the axe and swords and arrows, right, of the other companions. Um but um but yeah they give back before him cuz they feel it too they feel his presence i don't know what metaphors or similes the wargs themselves would use but um but they feel it the blazing brand flared with a sudden white radiance like lightning, and his voice rolled like thunder. The lightning burst. Classic Gandalf. Um, Gandalf's... the sudden the, A sudden flash of light like lightning is literally Gandalf's oldest trick in the book. Well, technically, I guess, magic smoke rings are Gandalf's oldest trick. Um, but his second oldest trick um, is um, a flash of light like lightning um, from chapter one of The Hobbit. Um, the sudden flash from Gandalf's staff. This is why Bilbo throws himself down on the on the ground and says, struck by lightning, struck by lightning. Because the light from Gandalf's staff is like lightning inside his house. 
right? Um, what is he doing? He shouts. Let's talk about what he shouts. Um, let's, um, okay, so I will... Let's see if I can translate this, if I rem remember it correctly. So, Naor is fire. Naor an edraith amen. Fire to rescue us, to rescue, rescue or saving to us, right? Amen means to us or for us, I think, if I'm remembering that correctly. And Idraith means saving, right? So he says, like, saving or rescuing us. Fire, fire to rescue us. Fire come, and, and Idraith, I'm not sure of the, t the those of you who, um, so be honest, we will do a little bit of linguistic stuff here. Those of you who know how to conjugate these verbs much better than I do can tell me. Is edraith in the imperative here? Um, are there verbs here? Why is Gandalf speaking Sindarin? I don't know why Gandalf is speaking Sindarin. Um, but it is interesting to note that he is. Um, fire uh, to, to, so there is no verb. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Fire to, to, to save us to the aid of us. Yeah. Fire to aid us. Fire done in Garohoth. Um, fire against the wolf horde. Right. Gaur, Gaur, well, Gaur in uh, in Quenya is wolf, uh, you know, Gaur or whatever, however you pronounce that, which I can't do well. Uh, in Sindarin, is wolves, and Hoth means horde, right? Um, fire to our need, yes. Well, I'm trying to. So, be honest, honor. I mean, you are very familiar with my doing this. I'm trying to. I'm trying to capture. This literally. I'm not trying to do a good translation. Um, that is, a good translation would have a similar kind of effect in English that this has in Cinderella. I'm just trying to parse it literally. Um, and the reason I'm doing that is I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to understand this in Cinderella without translating it. That is, like, I, I need to translate the words into English in order to help me understand what the heck he's talking about. Um, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to translate it as little as possible. Um, right. So, right. So something like fire, um, right. I'm trying to translate without interpreting. Um, and the reason I, I want to do that here is I want to try to understand what Gandalf is doing. And what I think he's not doing is using a single verb. 
if edreith is not a verb, if that means aid, rescue, saving, fire the rescue to us. Fire back against or against contrary to. Dom, as I recall, that's like a motion. It's like a word that talk about like retrograde motion, right? Um, uh, if I'm again, if I'm remembering that. Um, so it's like fire against the wolf horde. In neither phrase is he using an explicit verb. That strikes me as very important. Um, or at least that strikes me as a very peculiar sort of choice, right? Um, yeah. Okay. Thank you, Arna. So Amen, Amen is to us. Yes, to us. Um, okay. So yes, there's no, no action words here. Um, he starts with fire, right? In both times. Fire this, fire that. The first thing that the fire that is being associated with the fire is the positive result. Here's the, out, here's the desired outcome. Right? The desired outcome is the aid, rescue, assistance of us. Second, more specifically, <laughs> right? More specifically, what I have in mind is fire against the wolf horde. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Sorry, I was reading Bjornas Honor's comments, whom I'm accustomed to relying upon Bjornas Honor's assistance with these things. Um, Anyways, Bernstein is saying in some languages, you don't necessarily need a motion or existence verb if the preposition contains enough semantics. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, right, right. So the, um, so like Don, Don is a preposition here, right? Now are Don in Gaurhoth. Um so fire against the wolf horde. Fire against the wolf horde. Um, yeah, you don't need a verb. Like, it's pretty clear what you want to happen here, right? Um, yes, Vardendil, that's a wonderful comparison. Vardendil uh, compares it to somebody saying, friends to me in battle, right? Or Sphinx says somebody saying, away with you, right? Also, no verbs there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um Beginning with fire, right? Um, beginning with fire. Um, notice also he's not... Um, who's he addressing? Who's the audience? Well, I know audience in the sense of who can hear him. But who's, the, who's being addressed 
by his statement. Fire is, isn't it? He doesn't address the wolves. Again, that seems important. He's not commanding the wolves to be burned or something, right? He speaks of the wolves in the third person, right? Um, yeah, so, and you're right, Bob, I, I, I think I agree. He's not exactly addressing the fire. He's describing it. Yes, he's saying what should be. Fire to the rescue of us. Fire against the wolf heart. Um, Edraith. Oh, is that... Is it genitive, Bjorn's honor? Um, Anedraith might be of helping. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I'm not sure about that. But the pattern is pretty clear. Both start with fire. Then we get the preposition. On or done. Right? Then you get uh, the one thing we get in the first one that we don't in the second. So that there are basically only the three elements the second time. Fire, the noun, fire, the preposition, against, and then the object of the preposition, the wolf heart. Fire against the wolf heart. There's a th fourth term in the first one. Fire, the preposition, two, right? Or four? The saving of us. Notice how the prepositions are opposite of each other, on and done, right? One is sort of motion towards, like for, to, and the other is sort of is motion, you know, against, away from. Fire against, fire for this. It's like the one is positive, the other is negative, in a sense, right? Um, fire to this end, fire against this thing. Right. Um, yeah. Um, yes. Um, he calls the fire. He tells the fire what, you know, he's got a, like a vision for like the outcome that he desires, right, to achieve which is the saving of them, the rescue of them. Um, and then it is to be directed against the wolf horde. Those two things are, in one sense, of course, synonymous, but they're complementary in another way. Now, um, the reason I'm wanting to focus on how this works is that this, we're given every reason to believe that this is a spell that Gandalf is saying. Um, if Gandalf casts magic spells, 
which again, I, I forget who said it. Somebody was pointing out earlier that he's literally casting fire at them, right? He, he throws it, right? Um, he totally, he, he casts fire. He casts a fire spell in a, an utterly non-metaphorical way um, here. Um, uh, yeah, well, Almeray, I think it, yeah, that was you. Yeah, no, that, that's right. I, that's right. It's right. He is. I mean, it is a joke, um, but, but, it's, but it's a perfectly apt joke, right? He is casting a spell. Um, if it's a spell, it seems worth paying attention to. Um, it's not an invocation. He doesn't invoke power from anyone or anywhere. He describes what he wants in these very simple no-verb terms. Noun, preposition, object of preposition. Um, and then it happens. We'll look at it happening afterwards. Um... I don't, Jackie, I'm not sure I would say he's invoking fire so much as addressing fire, describing the action of fire that he is going to, that he is willing to be. Can we talk, Narya? Oh, you know I'm always so resistant to this. Um... Okay, Jackie. Okay, so of the several reasons that I am um, uh, resistant to talking about Narya, and Emily, that's one of them, because Narya did not exist at this point in the writing. Um, but it's not just that. It's that... It's so unclear because there are so many variables. We know very little about what Narnia does. We're told it's the Ring of Fire. Is that literal? Does it give him fire magic or control of fire? Does it confer control of the element of fire upon Gandalf? That's one way to understand the Ring of Fire. But in fact, the one statement we're given about the power of Narya is that it um, it inflames the hearts of people and inspire as as you said Bjorn Sonner I mean it's it's it it um so yeah it it it's metaphorical fire it's not actual fire um nothing that we're told about Narya leads us to believe it actually is good for chucking fire around, right? Um, so, we could say, well, then let's collect data, right? By looking at what Gandalf does. And by looking at what Gandalf does, we can then infer what Narya does based on what we see him do. Except... 
Is that even true? Can we be sure of that? I mean, Gandalf surely had some power of his own. Does he use Narya in fireworks? Like the actual making of fireworks? Is, is it Narya that makes them blow up? You know, the fire and light shows in the sky? Is that Narya? Or is that Gandalf? Um, right. And Matt, we are told that Gandalf had made a special study of fire and lights and smokes. Yes. Yes. So I don't know that it's safe to conclude that anything that Gandalf does with fire has to do with Narya. I can't prove that it doesn't either, but I can't, I don't feel confident concluding that it does. So this is another one of the reasons why I'm always reluctant to ascribe anything to Narya, because I see no indication. I see nothing in the text that kind of points in that direction. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Carrie asks, is it Narya that brings hope to the company when the fire is declared? Quite possibly. Quite possibly. Um, does it... Has it helped to build the ambiance in some sense? Right? This growth and um, menacing, right? Which is both inspiring to his friends and terrifying to his allies. Is that the Narya element, which actually has nothing to do with the physical fire here? Um, again, we just... It's its really hard to say. It's really hard to define. This is why um, the main thing that keeps me from wanting to talk about Narya. Um, it, it is true that Tolkien hadn't invented Narya yet when he wrote this, but that's not, that's not a definitive reason to never talk about it because it's part of the retcon that Gandalf, that Gandalf made, that Tolkien made, right? Tolkien affirms later on that Gandalf had had Narya the whole time. Ergo, we're justified in reading through these other passages and thinking about Narya. I just don't know how to think about it. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I don't, I don't feel safe thinking about it. Not in the sense that I fear for my own safety. But I don't feel secure in interpretation. Um, there's almost nothing that I have seen. Um... Gandalf do at any point in the book so far, you know, in the Fellowship of the Ring that we've been discussing now for lo these many years. I don't think I've seen anything that I feel 100% confident, like that is absolutely Narya and it's clear that it's Narya. Um, uh, yeah. So, um, so that's, that's, that's the hard part. Um, I think... I can only think of one time 
in The Lord of the Rings that I feel confident in saying that Gandalf is using Narya. Once. Like, I'm not saying that I'm sure he's never using. I'm just saying there's only one time I am sure he's using it. And I'm not even sure that it's... Um, that it's when he fights the Balrog, praise. It's possible. It's possible. But the one place where I feel 100% sure is when he's helping in the defense of Minas Tirith. When he is opposing the fear and despair that Sauron is like project that the Nazgul and Sauron are projecting over the city. Yeah, Graham, that's exactly it. During the siege of Minas Tirith. That's the one time that I... Because it fits so exactly to the description of that one sentence we get about what Narya does. Um, uh, that it's the... That's not even... I mean, maybe, Bjorning, maybe the white flame from his hand that shoes away the Nazgul when he rescues Faramir. Possibly. Possibly. Um but even there, I'm like less than 100% certain. I mean, you know, maybe I'd go as high as 75% or uh, or maybe not that high. But but when Denethor is out of, you know, takes himself out of commission and Gandalf is the one who goes about encouraging everybody and keeping up everyone's hope and strength, that's the time. I mean, again, if 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 somebody has to ask me where I think it is most likely... Right, where I feel most confident in saying Gandalf is totally using Narya here, that's the scene. Um, that's the scene. Um, yeah. Um, we'll have to think about Narya when we get to Emon Hen, Johannes, and Bjorning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yes, and Matt, that's very interesting. Matt points out that, of course, the Elven Rings are about the preservation of things. And um, their lives are are rescued, are saved, right? Anidraith Amen, right? To the, to the saving of us, to the rescuing of us. Um, but, um, but the, the trees are not, the sticks are not, right? There is destruction that is wrought through Gandalf's fire spell here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Okay. Um, okay. So, <laughs> Fardendil says, Now can we ask if the Ingaurahoth are the same kind as the Ingaurahoth of Tall Syrian? Um, when you say it, when you say Wolfpack in Cinderin, right, it sounds like uh, it sounds like the Island of the Werewolves um, in the First Age. Um, yeah. Um, Yep. I um, 
almost not quite not quite we're getting there um we're getting there we have been given we know that these wolves are very unusual wolves we know primarily that they are far more intelligent and far more coordinated right they work together wolves always work together these um much more so right um we do have a model for this from the wargs in the hobbit right of intelligent wolves who have their own language and who work together and not only work together among themselves but work together in conjunction with the goblins have these wolves done anything that the wargs of the hobbit would seem incapable of doing not yet not yet i don't think um but we can certainly say that there is a um there is a trend that is beginning right um that is to say the use of the word in gaurhoth does recall um uh uh the tolling gaurhoth um the island of the werewolves or of the werewolf horde um in the silmarillion and of course Gandalf did address the wolf as Hound of Sauron, and we talked about some of the other sort of meanings of that. But Sauron, of course, was the one who made Tol Syrian into Tol Ingarahoth um, in, uh, in the Silmarillion, in the First Age. And he's... Sauron is associated with wolves. And not just with wolves, but with werewolves, generally. Um, uh... So, we have some indirect associations already, but it's not totally clear to me um, how far we can sort of take that next. Um, okay, okay. Um, back to his spell because if it's a spell it's a spell that these are words that cause a magical effect and the effect seems to be based on his will I, I say that to differentiate that again from an invocation of anyone else's power that is he's not this is not a prayer right He's not asking for help. Sounds like he kind of is in the first one, right? Um, but he's not just appealing to another source of power for help. He's telling the fire the reason he wants it to do what it's doing, right? And it is. it does work almost like a rationale. Fire... I want you to do what you do for this purpose, for the saving of us. And so that's reason number one, fire, that you should, you know, do this thing. The second reason, fire, that you should do this thing is that it's it's against the Engauerhoth, right? 
um, you should, um, they're, uh, they're not just flammable. They, they, they deserve it. Right. Um, this, uh, this is something that you should be enthusiastic about now or fire whom he's again, in some sense, addressing here, addressing, instructing, um, here is what you should do and here is why. Um, I think that he is... It's the first one. Fire to the rescue of us. That seems to me most interesting. Um... Nauradan in Gaurhoth is just literally what happens, right? Fire against the wolf horde. Um, yes. Now, you're right, Bjarnasana, that there's no mood here. Um, because there's no verb to have a mood. However... Can anyone think of any example uh, of a verb, or sorry, of a, a phrase like that? We, we're talking about several examples of when people basically use prepositions to imply action, right? Like, to me, or away with you, um, as examples given before. But there's always an implied verb, and the implied verb is always in the imperative, isn't it? Could you imply any other kind of verb in such a phrase? To bed? Yes, yes. You might say to your kids, to bed. To bed now. Um, I, far mirroring, in theory it could be subjunctive. May there be. But, but how would you do it with no verb? With just the preposition thing? Um... I don't, I don't see how you could. I mean, any kind of preposition of that kind, any prepositional phrase in that way, um, still seems like an imperative. Always. Now, I am willing to imagine, yes, that it's like a juicive phrase. I saw somebody talking about that, like the juicive in Latin. Um, Meaning like a third-person imperative in Greek. Or... Or like... Yeah. Yeah. Um, ooh, Aspen. That's cool. For honor. For Frodo in the film. Yeah. Okay. So when Aragorn in the film says for Frodo, ah, it's still an imperative, but what it is for Frodo is a first person imperative. Ah, yeah. Okay. So I just learned about this from Greek. Um, because Greek has first and third person imperatives and English doesn't. Um, but they're sort of implied, like um, uh, 
what was the example my son came up with? Oh, yes. Let me explain. Um, uh, it's technically a second person imperative. But, um, yeah, yeah. Any kind of let us thing. Yeah. Um, what Aragorn is implying when he says for Frodo is a first person plural imperative. Right. This is the thing that we must do. Let us do this. Let us charge. Right. Let us attack for Frodo. Um, but it's still imperative. It's still imperative. Why am I talking about this? Why am I leaning on this so much? Again, I'm trying to understand how the spell works. And this is important because, look, we don't get many magical spells in Tolkien. This is one of them, right? We get a few, like three. <laughs> okay, so uh, so let's let's uh, let's take some time to look at how they work, right? Um, interesting. Bjorning says against the wolf horde, the fire. Yeah, I think it's a third person imperative. I think it's a third-person imperative. Um, that this thing should happen. Not necessarily a... Um, uh, not not necessarily... Not a second-person... Like again, he's not necessarily addressing fire. Hey, fire! Right? Could you do this? Appreciate it. I don't think that's necessarily the tone of this. He is describing, by, but it's not a mere description. Um, Eric suggests something like, let there be light. Yes. Um, let there be light is more like a third-person imperative phrase. Right. When you say let there be light, you're not giving a command to anybody. Right. Um, you're just saying this thing... I will that this thing should exist. Yeah. The third person imperative, con the concept of a third person imperative, that sort of thing where you say something like, let there be light. Perfect illustration. And then it happens, right? Um, it means he's not addressing fire as if fire were a free agent that he's appealing to in some way or commanding directly, right? As if the fire will obey him, has a will that will obey him, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, see, Ea is harder Boromir's horn because it's a verb, right? Be, right? Um, but yes, in the full sentence, um, when Iluvatar in the Anulindale says, I command that these things be, right? Um, that the world that is shall be. That's very much like the let there be light um, kind of things. See, exactly, Vardendil, fiat looks is different, right? That Latin construction, um, it's a little bit different. But yes, um, uh,
But I think the pattern, though, is pretty clear. Again, in that third person, like I'm going to describe what shall be. Fire is going to do this in this way. It's going to do this. It's going to be the rescue of us, the saving of us. And it's going to accomplish that by going against the wolf horde. Let those things be. Let the fire be for the rescue of us. Let the fire be against the wolf horde. It's hard to translate this because we don't do this in English, right? We can't really capture this because we don't have, especially we don't have the words for it. We don't have the syntax for it. Our language doesn't function that way. Um, so we have to, that's, again, that's why I'm not wanting to just pull a translation. I'm just wanting to interpret this. <clears throat> I'm trying to understand how it works. Um, because I don't think that it necessarily works the way that we would. Um, yeah, so... I do think that this shows the pattern, which is very much like, I'm sorry, I forgot who was quoting this earlier. I sang of leaves of leaves of gold and leaves of gold there grew. Um, to conceive of something and will it into being in the primary world does seem to be, more or less, how magic works. And of course, it's not unlike how the power of the Valar through the music um, is you know is um, uh, is wielded there uh, can you do it can you do it in in in, um, in Spanish yeah um, maybe you can do it in Spanish yeah um Yes, Eric, that's exactly it, too. The will leading to the effect does imply an imperative, not a request or a persuasion or a hypothetical, right? Um, yes. That's why I do think the implied verb has to be in the imperative, but not necessarily the second person imperative, which is the only imperative we do in English. Um, yes, yes. Well... Okay, Bob, hang on a second. Let me think about that. Could it just be an assertion? Could it just be indicative? Fire is for the rescue of us. Fire is against the wolf horde. Facts. Right? Um, to make an indicative statement like that and then make it and then it happens, right? There's still, by speaking the facts, he causes them to be true. Hmm. Uh, well, it's hard because it's all about the sequence, right? Um, 
the thing that doesn't seem right about the indicative here is that it's it would be untrue right fire is not yet against the Ingarhof. it will be in just a second right after he says it once he says it it becomes fact right the imperative becomes indicative right afterwards which of course we see let there be light and there was light right um you've got that third person imperative sense and then you know let this thing be and then it is indicative right um so um uh yeah yeah um that's why i think the you can see it in the indicative but i think that's premature it's not indicative at the moment that gandalf says it right um because it's causal right um his saying it makes it happen and so it does seem to be imperative rather than indicative but it, it's it's interesting to think through that way um there you go so how about that? We spent all this time talking about the mood of the verbs that are not there in Gandalf's statement. Right. We'll get to you cannot pass. That is indicative. Yes, you cannot pass. That's a statement of fact. Um, but that's second person as well. He's there's he's talking to a dude, right? There's a dude standing right there that he's talking to. Um, and he's laying down some facts there. Um, but again, that's that's different from... In fact, it's one of the things that I'm trying to make sure I'm understanding properly. Um, what is his relationship with fire? What can we understand about Gandalf's relationship from, with fire um, in the way that this spell works? Kurtzman says, for some reason, we're having a hard time explaining how magic works. Yes. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Um, uh, yes. Um, but yes, I think understanding his address of fire in a let there be light kind of way. So if I were to add a verb, it would be be. Fire be the saving of us. Fire be against the wolf horde. Um, this, this is the thing. This is the thing that should happen. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, And when he says it, it happens. This is a very similar pattern to what he did with the fire on the slopes of Karathras. Right? Um, yes, and Gildalowin, because it's a spell, that's why, again, I think it's quite justified to look at exactly how... Um, I suspect... That a, when you're uttering a magical spell, syntax matters, right? Worth thinking about, I think. Um, uh, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Because, yeah, we could have a very... We could get some wrong impression. You could translate. Uh, you could translate this in ways which would be very misleading. Um, you could make it sound like a prayer. You could make it sound um, like he is personifying and chatting with fire. Both of those would be defensible based on what we have here, I think, potentially. Um, but I don't... Um, I don't think so. Um, so, to some extent, I think that fire to our aid seems pretty straightforward spellcasting. Straightforwardly spellcasting. Yes. Except it seems so unnecessary. That is, it's not just saying what the fire is meant to do. It's not just providing a set of instructions to fire. It's saying what outcome they want he wants to create with the fire. Which seems a little ambitious, right? Um do you see what I mean? Like if you say Okay, what I want to be is fire setting fire burning that thing, right? why you want to burn it, what long-term goal you hope to accomplish by the burning of that thing. Is that the fire? Does the fire need to know? Right? Is that really... Um, uh, is that really necessary? It. I mean, Gandalf seems to think so. He leads with it. Right? Yeah, Cal Elros, I agree. It almost gives the fire a moral imperative. Yes. Um, he's not just saying burn. Rowan, I agree. He's setting the intention. There seems to be more... It is not Gandalf casting intrinsic to the spell that Gandalf is casting would seem to be the purpose for which he is casting it. Intrinsic mind. Not accidental. An accidental... Um, accidentally involving... Involving the purpose would be like saying you can... Um, you can have a gun and you can shoot the gun. And depending on where you shoot it, you can bring about different outcomes, right? So, you know, if you want to do good with it, aim at the werewolves, right? If you want to do harm with it, aim at somebody else, right? What are, you, you see what I mean? Like, but that's not the case. It's not just a question of the magic is a weapon which can be used for good or for ill. This is not a weapon that could be used for ill. Not according to Gandalf's spell. Um, the rationale, the good purpose, the saving 
of their lives is coded in from the beginning. It's part of the whole structure of the thing. Yes, Eric, exactly. He doesn't just sick the fire on the wolves. He's not just like, hey, there were some wolves over there. They're bad guys. Um, fire, get them. Because just trust me, they're bad guys. So it'll be a good thing if you if you burn them up, right? That's not at all what he's doing. He is creating the fire that he's creating is in some sense essentially useful, right? Let's um next time we will see what happens when Gandalf invokes the fire. When Gandalf um what does a saving fire look like? What does a saving fire which is against the wolf horde actually look it looks like Naria and Jackie? <laughs> <laughs> you're probably right. You're probably you're probably right. Um but um yeah. Yeah. Um let us see if we can understand the scene that is described afterwards better by looking at the um having looked at the spell and tried to understand the spell in the way that we have. Um, let's come back next time to the effect and see what Gandalf's will brings into being um, when he does that. All right. Thanks, everybody. Should be back. Uh, hope to be back from uh, Iowa in plenty of time. Um, so we should have class as normal next week, as far as I know. Um, thanks for those of you who have uh, come for our book discussion. And it's field trip time now as we will continue exploring now south and east of Tharbat. So I will switch over here. Thanks, folks. Okay, good evening, Valori. How are you? Good evening. I'm doing much better, thank you. Good to be back, good to be back. Excellent. All right. Uh, I'll just talk a Nenya. <laughs> Nenya yes, business. We're gonna that's head to, we're gonna we're gonna head to um Mossword this evening. Mossword, yes, that's correct. I'm just getting everyone in the raid. So once again though, it's like uh the the little we know about the, the horseshoes and hand grenades uh system of magic in mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings. Um it does remind me once again, and I've I've said this many times, sorry, um everyone's already heard this, of um, the Kalevala, where the, the whole point is to sing a song that makes things so. You yes. sing the story of fire, to, and the power of the song changes the reality around you. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And that's kind of how I feel his approach is. And if but, there uh, is a model for magic, 
that is most relevant to Tolkien's world, it would mm -hmm. be the Kalevala. Yep. So that's just, uh, that's Valori's two cents this week. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, that and King of Stone thing? I don't know. I always got, <laughs> like, bless you. Sorry. Bless you. The ragweed over here is bothering you over the mic. I'm, I'm good. Um, but yeah, like the King of Stone thing just seems like a very Arthurian sort of reference. Yeah, yeah. Like the Sleeping I, King. Right. Well, there's there's almost a sense of that, isn't there? I mean, the, the comparison I was resisting making, because I didn't want to just... I thought it might be a little too unnecessarily distracting, hmm. was thinking about temple idols and graven images. Hmm. Which, like, are just a representation of the god, but they are the god also at the same oh, time. Oh, yeah, yeah. And in a different sense. Oh, and very classic of the Titans. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a way in which, again, it's, it's. I didn't want to get, because then, like, we, we'd get theological, and that, that's what I thought would be distracting, but... Um, but there is a sense in which there's something like that in when we were talking about like the presence of the king, right? Well, I think it predates theology. I think it's just a very sort of big demiurge. A thing becomes the thing itself. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yes. Yes. And in that future time, when Corey actually manages to get weakened up through the good to bad story, we'll be revisiting this concept of statues representing people that yes. may or may not have some sort of embodied spirit in them. <laughs> I look forward to it. I look forward to Sounds it. Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay, so right. in Mossword, or in around Mossword, so the one thing I was disappointed by. I think if we, which direction are we going out of the city? Okay, in a way that we can actually leave, so that's good. Um, okay, so Valori, one thing that we found um, was, let's see, are we, are we out yet? Okay, no, we're out. No, I'm still on the darn map. Is it behind the big rock? Okay. Um, All right, so we found that there wasn't anything that we could see, any ruins that we could see between Tharbad and here. Mm -hmm. Now, one sort of disappointment is if we look back at Mossward from here, mm -hmm. that we can't get any closer to the tower up on the hill, that white and wooden tower. That lighthouse-looking thing? Yeah, the lighthouse-looking thing. We, we couldn't get any closer, so I'm hoping maybe we can find another one. Uh, that we can see closer. Um, I'm thinking this is definitely modern. Mm. Uh, it looks way too rustic. It's it, it's certainly post Arnurian. I, I would yeah, say. Yeah, definitely looks like brick and whitewash. Yeah, brick and whitewash, and then wood up at the top. Mm. Um, so it looks fairly crude. It looks fairly modern. There's one on either side of the town. We can't get close physically close to either one of them. The other thing that we saw was there is a large, uh, sort of surprisingly large, Arnorian ruin on the far side. And the coolest thing was it oh has it has a white tree in it. It's not just a tower. <gasps> Looks like just a tower. But the, okay, so we'll see just for people who weren't here last week, we'll see really briefly. And then we'll move on and around to see if we can see other similar kinds of ruins. So it's definitely Cardolan. Yeah, Cardolan I see the ruin. image of the tower the there, yeah. 
Yeah, but if you go to the right of the tower, we enter into this big courtyard. And in the center of this courtyard, here we go, entering into the courtyard here, past all the wolves, is this ancient dead stump of a huge tree right in the middle of this. And all around are these little white trees, see? Like this one? Yeah. And they're everywhere, like as if seeds or fruit from that tree had spread around so that now we have these smaller trees which have all grown up all around the place as a result, you know, having fruit or seeds dropped from this big, huge tree back in the Mm day. Um, So, in short, we seem to have had not just what I thought was just a watchtower when we approached it. Instead, seems to be this whole court thing with what looks like a a sort of a DIY white tree in the middle of it. Hmm. Which is kind of amazing, right? Yeah. Uh, To me, I mean, it's, it's, it, that was kind of revolutionary. And so my theory was, which direction am I headed? I can't even tell. Okay, right. So let's, let's do a sort of a wider sweep and see if we see any more ruins around here. Um, uh, but uh, my theory was that, because we know this is not, this is our nor, this is sorry, this is Gondorian terrain, at least as far as road upkeep is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, we're on the other side of the river, and the main thrust of uh, the Cardolan civilization, we thought, was done um, at Tharbad, that that was the mm-hmm. end of it. Yeah. Um, apparently not. But apparently not. Um, so I'm wondering if this might even have been some kind of like Cardolan splinter group who was like, I want to, am I entering the store veils? I'm somewhere else. Oh, I see. I've entered into this other little section of the map. Okay. Hmm. Um, anyway, yeah. So um, uh, that they've cut, you know, moving away, like trying to get away from the, um, from the civil wars. Mm-hmm. And of course, Cardolan was the southern edge of the Arnorian civil wars, and so the down here these were empty lands. This was peaceful and quiet compared to the civil war. Hmm. I'm seeing nothing else. There's some it goblin. Could also be an advance party that just sort of stuck around. Possibly, possibly, but the the whole white tree thing. You know, mm-hmm. got me thinking. All right, just yeah. Look around in this valley, see what you see from here. Okay, there's something over there. That's the next village, I think. Right, am I looking towards the? Yeah, I'm looking towards Clegor down there. Um, I don't see any other ruins, though. Remember up uh, around um, the farm that we went to every week for like four months. Um, yeah. There were ruins everywhere. Right, it was clear that that was part of a whole, you know, nation of Cardolan at the time. Yeah. I don't see any supporting buildings anywhere around here. No, um, it's, I mean, it, yeah. I can't imagine you'd get much built on this kind of terrain over here. No, maybe not. Here, let's want to go over to this other ridge and look north and see if we can see anything, any ruins to the north before we head over to those other villages. Sure then maybe we can see if there's nothing, then we'll head over to the villages and maybe we can we can uh, get a milestone at Claygore. Mm-hmm. If it has a stable master, maybe it'll have a milestone too. And then we can start up there. 
It's hard because I want to go downhill, but I want to look up at the same time, and I just can't. Really yeah. Just get a face full of grass. Exactly, yeah, it doesn't work so well. Can I go up this slope, you think? There's a little passage. There's a, yeah, there's, see the trees up there? There's like a path through the trees over there. I I'll probably think. go around to the right, but maybe I can go. Uh, it's more to the left, but. No? Yeah, there's an, there's an, well, I don't know. You could go up there. I don't know for sure. It just looks like there was a definite path to the left. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we're making it. Okay, so we've got, what are these dudes? Like half orcs up here? Is that what we're seeing? Uh, yeah, could be ruffians. Yeah, some sort of ruffian. Okay. Man, the flowers are lovely, but, uh, man, they're, it's hard to see over anything. Okay. <laughs> Oop, there we go. All right, hang on. Ruins Ahoy. Where is that? That is to the north. So it's across the river. So up there in mm -hmm. the direction of what on the map is called Hlongaran. That's clearly an Arnurian ruin. Mm. You can see that from here. Looks like more cartilin material. This is just a modern wood fort. See what you mean about the flowers? I lost you in there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like you just disappear into the bushes here. Yep. Um, I don't, though, I don't see anything else. Yeah, careful. I don't think some of these rocks are nailed down very well. Yeah, very possibly not. There we go. Yep. I don't see anything else up around here. Oh, it's all marshland. Yeah, down there... By the river and across the river is the marshland. And we'll get to that next. We'll go down here to these villages and such down here, and then we'll go up to the mm -hmm. marshland, I think. We'll again kind of proceed in a more or less counterclockwise way. I, I think um, it's... Uh, if yeah. The rain might be influencing he, me here, but it does feel like anything you would have built would have been swept away by now. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, it is always possible. Just that the fact that ruins don't survive doesn't mean there weren't any. There wasn't anything. Oh, you mm -hmm. don't see the tower. Right. You don't right. know there's a tower, a very tall needle-like tower to the far east. You're missing it. To the far east? Far east, yeah. Yeah, atmospheric conditions are not favorable. No. It's the client and what is draw distances. Mm. Let me see. If I, I'll, I'll head east a little bit and see if I can get it to come into... Up on the mountains, is it? Yep, on the path to Enidwai. Okay. Well, don't see it yet, but we'll see it when we get over there. Okay, alright, I see it looks actually like a... Like a... Obelisk or something. Okay. Um, alright, well... Yeah, who do we have here? These are... Uh, southern brigands? Southern, yeah, southern brigands. Okay. Alright. Oh, we're here. This is their whole camp here. Alright. At their well, grow tent. Oh my goodness. They're all over the place down here. Wow. Um. These big tents make me feel like they've, like, shorn a whole herd of cows with their leather. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. 
cows if we're lucky. <laughs> I like this little construction here. So let's um let's erect a very spiky pole so that we can hang some skulls from it. Cause that'll be awesome. Well we already got the three, but there'll be more later. <laughs> That's right. I mean it looks a little rickety even to hang somebody from the other side. Like you couldn't even put a proper skeleton in a basket up there. Yeah, I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> I got not know, like they've got a whole set. It's, 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 there's a whole cosmetic line of, uh, you know, spiky skull, skull Oh, this one has cow skulls on it. Oh, well, there you go. That's some variety. Oh, yeah, see, that one's got more stabilization on that one. Okay. Ran out of cows after all the tents. <laughs> Saved him. Didn't think ahead. Yeah, they're using the whole cow. The tower to the east, when we eventually get there, has the enuminous spikes on top of it. Okay, well, we'll see. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like those ones with the statues of the, the, the wizardy looking guy with a sword. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, hang on. Well, so, is that ended with proper? Uh, should be far enough away, yeah. Okay. Well, we will see. I was pretty sure that most of the Enidwyth ruins when I was there before were Gondorian, but we'll see what we see. But they were like we Eldritch there. Gondorian. They were. They were, yeah. Yeah. But we haven't properly explored. Yeah, we, which period does the Eldritch Gondor come belong to? Yeah, that's a good question. All right, so I'm going down to the village that we saw down here. This is not proceeding to the villages in story order, but that's okay. We're not doing story order. I just saw them. Geography in the has no respect for story. That's it. Pretty beautiful waterfalls. I don't think we have them on this scale yet. They're lovely waterfalls. Notice how we've been seeing this, these very sort of squared off boulders, right? We've mm -hmm. been seeing this for a while. Yeah. Um, and these cliffs are like some of the the most impressive uh, cliffs made of that same stone that we've seen. Yeah. Notice hmm. Oh, bridges. Notice the bridges, yeah. Made from very different stone. Mm-hmm. Greece style, I think. Yeah, I think Okay, well, let's see here. Ah! Aha. That's what I was. Aha! This Did is you? what I saw from before. Plagor? Plagor? Plagor. Plagor. Oh! So. Very. Bree like buildings, but yes, we have a Hobbit village. Well, they got a lot of red stone around here, so. Yes. See a lot of redstone houses. Yep. Red bricks. Red door. Okay. Red, red's more durable than green. Is there a. Let's see that. Where's the. Oh, right. I'm standing right in front of him. Stable master. How'd you do? It's right. Is there a 
Is there a uh, milestone here? Yes, I'm right here. Why am I? I can never see the milestones. Uh, I'll help you out here. Where'd he go? Okay. There the it green is. Pillar is. The green pillar. I don't see the green. Oh, there it is. Way over there. Okay. <laughs> I love these dwarf candles. These are great. I need like a hundred million billion of these. It's really handy. Okay. All right. So we'll place Moss Word with this one. And that way we can begin here to look through these different villages down here. Um, Because, yeah, I think that the whole rest... So there was the one... Mossward was built right next to that very large former Cardolan city. Um, not using the ruins at all, unlike in Bree, where we saw a clear overlap, like the city, the town had engulfed the old ruins mm -hmm. and used some of their walls. And we don't see, we didn't see that same thing in Mossward. So we'll see what we find down here in these other three or four towns. Um, uh, the Hobbit towns here. So we'll we'll check those out, and then we can head up towards the Wade Water and Karas Gelebrin uh, and Western Oregon, and then we'll head right. off into Oregon. Cool, cool. All right, um, beautiful little Hobbit village we have discovered, and we shall explore <laughs> it and perhaps set off for the next town next time. Very good. Right. Thank you, everybody. Bye, guys. Have a good night. See you guys next week. Bye now.